Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. The text this morning is from Matthew 2, beginning at verse 13. Welcome you to follow along in your own copy of Scripture, if you have it at hand. Again, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Hear now God's word. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Lord God, would you open our eyes this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your law. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is Herod, really? We could talk about the the historical person. We did a little bit last week. It'll come into what we talk about today as well. But who is he really? The passage we're considering this morning, it, it divides easily into three parts. Most of us probably have those parts marked out by headings in our, in our Bibles. Each section shows decisive action taken 
that affects the life of the infant Lord Jesus. In each section, even after he has died, Herod seems to play some decisive role, directly or indirectly. And each section ends with Matthew expressly pointing to prophecy fulfilled. But there's something running much deeper than particular passages to which Matthew refers. On the one hand, in the last chapter, in the, in the genealogies, the entire history of Israel was reviewed in this fast-forward fashion, all the way from Abraham to David to the exile to the birth of Christ. But most clearly here in this chapter, continuing well into chapter 4 and beyond, Matthew shows us how Jesus recapitulates the history of God's people. He's like a new Israel walking through everything God brought his people through, succeeding where they fail. From the exodus to the wilderness to delivering a law from the mountain in chapter 5. So let's take a look at this portion of chapter 2. These three pieces it divides into. We'll move through it section by section. And let's consider how this, this unmasking of Herod in these verses and the frustrating of his purposes brings into play for us a deeper understanding of, of whom Herod represents and who this child is. One thing we'll see is that as Matthew seeks to lay bare for us who Jesus is, that we might understand his significance over and over and at times in ways that we don't clearly see on the surface, he turns to the Old Testament to make sense of the Messiah. The first section that we see, verses 13 through 15, is Jesus, the Son of God, called out of Egypt. That immediately leaves us scratching our head because he goes into Egypt, right? But Matthew brings up this verse in Hosea that talks about my son being called out, out of Egypt. But in this verse, in this section, we see made clear for us what we've suspected for the whole chapter. Because the Magi arrive in Jerusalem, having seen a star in the heavens, and they come to the capital and they ask, where is the one born king of the Jews? And the one ruling over the Jews at the moment has no idea what they're talking about. That's troubling. And then he tells them, right? He's, he works out. This has to do with the Messiah, right? And so he calls up everybody. He's like, okay, where's the Messiah born? It's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's where you guys need to go. And make sure you tell me when you find him so that I can come and worship him. I doubt that sat any better with the Magi's than it does for us. And they're warned in a dream at the end of that text that we considered last week. 
So they don't send word to Herod. But still, we're not quite sure. What's Herod up to? What's he doing? And then in verse 13, Joseph is warned in a dream and it's all laid bare. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. The one ruling over the Jews sees the one born king of the Jews as a threat to his power and wants to kill him. So they do. They, Joseph follows the commands as given in the order of the dream. He gets up, he takes the child and his mother by night, departs to Egypt. By night because of haste, by night because of fear of being seen, by night because the dream comes to him at night and his obedience is immediate. And then Matthew attaches this prophecy from Hosea. It leaves us scratching our head. Out of Egypt I called my son. Leaves us scratching our head in a few ways. If we go back and read Hosea 11, Hosea seems to be reflecting on the history of God's people and not a future expectation for them. It leaves us scratching our head because Matthew places it here as they're fleeing into Egypt and not later when he describes their return from there. Some have suggested that Herod, as one like Pharaoh in seeking to kill the infants, rules over a Judea which is like Egypt. And so the flight out of Palestine, out of Israel, is a flight out of an Egypt of a kind. Herod is certainly portrayed like Pharaoh. Jesus is certainly portrayed as something like a new Moses. But that is perhaps a little over-subtle with what Matthew is doing. I think Matthew places it here because he wants us to understand the whole scene in this whole section as a demonstration that Jesus is reenacting the history of Israel. As he goes down into Egypt, as he's later called back up out of Egypt, as the ruler of the land slaughters infants in order to try and kill the deliverer. We'll see it later as he is baptized and then goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. We'll see it in other places as well, which will develop as we go. But Jesus is in himself rehearsing the history of God's people as he sojourns here in Egypt and will later be called out. So Jesus, the Son of God, is called out of Egypt. In the next section, verses 16 through 18, right, we see Herod doing his worst 
trying to stamp out any possibility. He's infuriated as he's tricked by the wise men, and he sent and killed a, a phrase that captures his dispatching someone else to do his dirty work. As they go and they kill all the male children in Bethlehem and the region around, from two years old and under, and we see Herod creating a nice margin to try and remove any doubt to make sure that the Christ is destroyed. Don't just go to Bethlehem. But all the farms and and named intersections and everything you pass along the way, stop there too. And not just a male child that matches the age the Magi gave me, but let's go all the way from newborn all the way up to two years old. Let's have a wide margin to make sure that he isn't missed in the murder of the children. We happen to know a lot about Herod, not because he was a nice guy. We spoke last week that that this man is the one who murdered his favorite wife and two of his sons because he thought... He suspected them of a coup against him. And that was par for the course for this Herod. He left orders that 2,000 Jewish men be murdered on the day of his death to ensure that there would be mourning when he passed away. And that, again, was not out of character. It also appears to be one of his commands that everybody ignored after he died. And so people have have looked at this section of Matthew and they've scratched their heads. Josephus tells us so much about the evil of Herod. The Romans are aware of it too, but this is never mentioned. So it must be that it didn't happen. But people forget that Bethlehem was small. It's surrounding regions. That that sounds grand. This sounds like thousands of children, but in all likelihood, it's maybe 20. On the edge of a capital where so much more was going on, this would not have made the evening news. It may not have been widely known outside Bethlehem itself until Matthew records it for us. And yet it is so like the Herod we know from those sources that that speak of the other things that he did that, that did make the evening news, that even came to the attention of the Romans. But there's more going on here than just a jealous ruler trying to stamp out a rival. See, Herod represents here the seed of the serpent in its enmity against the seed of the woman. If we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when the Lord comes and pronounces judgment because of Adam and Eve's sin, 
Judgment falls first on the serpent. And in verse 15 of Genesis 3, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Herod is more than Herod in this chapter as he seeks to kill the seed of the woman. To put to death a rival, yes, but also to stamp out the hope of Israel. So that as Matthew points us to Jeremiah 31, there are, there are two things at work here. As he recognizes the depth of the mourning of the mothers in Bethlehem. And the threat Herod poses to the people of God. But what is not clear to us unless we turn and read Jeremiah 31 as a whole is that this note of bitter mourning comes in the midst of a chapter full of hope as it looks to God's deliverance and his promise to bring his people back from exile. So that even in the way Matthew notes the lamentation and the weeping, he reminds us that Jesus' escape from this slaughter means hope and salvation for God's people. Because the seed of the woman has lived and he will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus, the Son of God, is called out of Egypt. Jesus, the seed of the woman, is delivered from the seed of the serpent here. And in the last section, we have another head scratcher, as Jesus is the despised branch that bears fruit. Herod dies. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in another dream to bring the child back with his mother because those seeking his life are dead. And immediately, in the same way, Joseph does everything the angel tells him to do, comes back to the land of Israel, but Archelaus is ruling over Judea. And Archelaus is his father's son. They slaughtered 3,000 in one go. Herod was bad enough, but Archelaus' reign was so bad that Jews and Samaritans together, imagine that. People from Judea and Samaria went together to entreat the Roman Senate to do something about it. And if Herod had said anything to his son about this Christ, about the attempt, about the the murder of the children in Bethlehem, Judea is not safe for Jesus and his mother and father. 
So the Lord warns him in a dream again, and he goes to Galilee. Far to the north, on the other side of Samaria, where they would be least expected, not looked for, where some other son of Herod, who was not too bad, which is a pretty low standard of comparison, but not too bad, he was in power up there. To Nazareth which is a backwater of backwaters. At its height in this time, it might have had 480 people. And we're left scratching our heads again. Because Matthew says that they're they're going to Nazareth was so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Do you recognize that reference? Because I don't. And in fact, there there are no quotation marks around it in most of our Bibles. And you'll notice that Matthew knows what's going on because his wording is different. There's no spoken saying And it's not spoken by the prophet, it's spoken by the prophets. What seems to be going on here is that Matthew has has created this clever pun that actually depends on his readers knowing a little bit of Hebrew as well. He's, He's left something there for those who are following his use of the Old Testament. Insofar as he's pointing directly to an Old Testament passage, he's probably pointing to Isaiah 11 in verse 1. The word for branch in that chapter sounds like the word for Nazarene here. Isaiah says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So Matthew is probably pointing to Jesus as the branch, as this Messiah, as this son of David, the one grown up, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. He may also be pointing to Jesus as one whose life is dedicated to God, like the Nazarites. The word for Nazarene and the word for Nazarite also sound similar. But perhaps more than both of those, he's picking up on this theme that we find throughout the prophets and also in the Psalms. We see it in Isaiah 53. We see it in Psalm 22. That the Messiah would be despised and rejected. That he would be not recognized by his people. They would look for him in Jerusalem, that they might think to look for him in Bethlehem. But he would be called that hick carpenter from Nazareth and despised for it. A despised and rejected Messiah. So Matthew describes for us in this chapter the the Son of God who is called out of Egypt, who is the seed of the woman delivered from the seed of the serpent. 
the despised branch, the Messiah from the house of David, who will bear fruit, who will rebuild David's house, who will bring to pass all of God's promises, though his people do not recognize him. Though his disciples, when they first hear of him, will say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet he is the Lord's Christ. We see how Matthew uses the Old Testament to make sense of who Jesus is. As clearly he is referred to Hosea chapter 11 to point to how Jesus relives the history of Israel succeeding where they fail. How he has pointed us to Jeremiah 31 to show how this weeping and lamentation occurs in a context of hope and deliverance and salvation. We see how he has drawn on Isaiah 11 and other parts of the prophets to to tell us about the despised and rejected Messiah. We've seen how Genesis 3.15 helps us make sense of this antagonism between Herod and Christ. And we might well think of Psalm 2, which we read earlier. As Herod and other rulers try to take their stand against God and his Christ. And the Lord laughs. Because it's all under his control. And their enmity and their hostility only serves to bring about God's purposes. Beloved, this is our Lord Jesus who crushes the head of the serpent, who brings us salvation, in whose name we have forgiveness of sins, and who will return again with all things in subjection. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way he brings to fruition all the promises, all the hopes, all the desires, all the needs of your people. We thank you that he rules over all. And that as he subdues us to himself, so he rules and defends us and conquers all his and our enemies. Lord, may we be not like Herod, opposing him to our peril. May we be instead like those who at the end of Psalm 2 seek refuge in him and find blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. 
Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.